Did Joe Biden take a bribe? Did Daniel Penny commit a crime? And has the COVID origin story been revealed? We'll discuss all this and more on this edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined as always by the Right Honorable Charles C.W. Cook, Madeline Maddie Kearns, and my friend and yours... Jeff Blair. You are, of course, listening to a Nashville podcast. Our sponsor this episode is Moink. More about them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, by the way, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. And if you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said anything. So, Jeff, we've had these allegations flying about a potential Joe bribe of Joe Biden emanating from Ukraine. Chuck Grassley, who's a serious guy who um, deals a lot in, in whistleblowers and informants and this kind of realm of, of public affairs, has been on to this um, uh, interview the FBI conducted with someone who alleged this bribe. There's obviously been a major contention with the House, just wanted to get its hands on this form, they kind of sort of got their hands on the redacted version of this form. That uh, contention is still going. But the new element we've had added the last few days is the contention that there are tapes of calls with the person who uh, was carrying, uh, trying, trying to bribe Joe Biden. 17 tapes, supposedly 15 with Hunter and two with Joe. What do you make of what we know so far? I'm a little scared, honestly, to believe the possibility that Joe Biden could be uh, corrupt in this sort of venal and vulgar way. And the reason I'm scared isn't because I think it's beyond him. It's because, you know, he'd have done such a good job at concealing his tracks. How have we thought about Biden over the years? We always think of him as this sort of, you know, he, oh, sure, he's a liar about this and that. He'll make up his uh, law school rankings and the, the, the books he's read and uh, corn pop and all that. But we think of him as a blustering, fundamentally decent, if not wrong-headed Democrat. That's the image he certainly sought to project. But you know, what? What if he's actually just corrupt as the day is long? And here's the reason why you can't dismiss it outright. Look at his son, okay? It's as simple as looking at Hunter Biden and then looking at all these interesting financial transactions that seem to have been arranged by him, dispersed over various shell corporations and various ways to make payments. And you start to ask yourself, well, uh, given the son, why not the father? So while I'm very reluctant to seize upon this, I, I don't want us. To, I don't want to rushigate ourselves. Remember how eager they were to believe that Donald Trump was being owned, bought, and operated by the Russians, and basically it led the mainstream media to its doom, <laughs> deservedly so. So I'm cautious here, but I'm also scared at honestly how plausible I think it is. Yeah. So Maddie, there. I have a couple couple thoughts on this. One, just because it's in an, an FBI interview doesn't mean it's true. People tell the FBI things all the time, and it's not clear. The, the tapes it would obviously be hugely explosive if they exist. It's not clear that they exist. But on following on from Jeff's point, I, I would say, one, is it hard to believe that Joe Biden is corrupt? No, because, I mean, they, they set up this uh, obviously corrupt or shady scheme where they, uh, as all corrupt operations do, they um, set up these LLCs with anodyne names to take these big payments from foreign entities and foreign players overseas uh, and then dole them out in smaller, less suspicious increments to various family members, some of whom were doing the alleged work that was involved, some of whom had nothing to do with the uh, alleged work. So this is a huge part of the family business. But given that they had the setup and this way of working, it would seem somewhat extraordinary to me and incredibly reckless if there was some explicit bribe uh, of Joe Biden. I mean, why would you do that if you have an established way of funneling money to the family that doesn't involve the political and criminal potentially exposure of some explicit uh, quid pro quo type arrangement? Yeah, it certainly raises a lot of questions. I I agree with uh, Bill McGurn had a great column making the point that similar to the Hunt and Hunter Biden laptop story, you have this strange campaign to discredit uh, the, the investigation to the public before it's really got going. I mean, the two questions worth asking in a case like this are how serious is the allegation? And, and given that it, it involved a, a serving vice president, that's pretty serious. That would uh, certainly attract the attention 
of um, the FBI director and the attorney general. And then the, the second question is, how credible is the source? Now, granted, we don't know an awful lot about the, the actual specifics yet because because this form was redacted but it is something that the FBI took seriously it's something that they recorded it's something that they've said they're actively investigating and so I think that already amounts to something of the public interest something that bothers me about this is the way that uh, the media cover it as just a highly partisan conspiracy chasing um, when, when in fact, you know, Chuck Grassley has been consistent on this from from the beginning. He said he's used the word allegedly. He said the foreign national allegedly bribed Joe and Hunter Biden, allegedly had has these audio recordings, um, and then you have uh, sort of outlets like the New Republic saying, "Ha! Like now you're saying uh, they might not exist." It's like, no, of course, of course they might not exist, but it's still worth investigating. Just because there's a possibility, it leads nowhere. It doesn't mean you don't pursue it. So, Charlie. Two options. Maybe you can't choose between these two without knowing more information. But do you think what we're seeing here more is a a legitimate, public-spirited attempt to raise this issue based on suspicions and actually some things we really know about FBI bias and slow-walking the Hunter Biden investigation? So the only way you can get to the truth here is really lighting a fire under the FBI with a real public campaign waving this stuff around and uh, suggesting the worst? Or are we potentially seeing uh, what what Jeff implied is impossibility that uh, another sort of Russia hoax, you assume the worst, you get out over your skis before you yeah. know all the facts and make, make bad assumptions? Well, I don't know, but what gives me a great deal of pause is who is involved thus far in relating what we know the obvious argument against the allegations would be that they have been championed by marjorie taylor green but they have also been echoed and to some extent endorsed by nancy mace who is pretty far away from Marjorie Taylor Greene in the Pantheon, and in fact doesn't like Marjorie Taylor Greene. The two of them have a beef, as the kids say. Likewise, Chuck Grassley is not known for wild insinuations or for bomb-throwing, nor is James Comer in the House. So I think the chance of this being an op is fairly low. Now, of course, it doesn't have to be an op to be wrong. There could be false evidence or misunderstood premises. I would say the second thing that gives me a little bit of pause is this network of banks. Because I can't really imagine why a figure such as Joe Biden would need to have all manner of shell corporations and means of funneling money around his mm-hmm. family. Yeah, if he's the poorest, poorest senator in the Senate. So I certainly think there is a great deal more here already than there was to Russiagate, and there is no document that has been released that is self-evidently ridiculous but of course you have to err on the side of caution and decline to accuse people of very serious crimes without evidence this would be a serious enough crime to warrant immediate resignation from the president so i can't see how we could get to the point at which this was demonstrated to be true and leave Biden where he is. So I suppose it's a little bit like what happens to bills in Congress, where success and failure look the same while they're happening, and you only find out at mm-hmm. the end which one which one you were dealing with. If Grassley is being careful, I assume this is what it would look like. And if Grassley has been irresponsible, this is mm-hmm. also what it would look like. So Jeff, next question to you. Rate, what would be your level of surprise if it is proven that Joe Biden took a no-kidding bribe from zero to ten? Zero, you wouldn't be surprised. 
in the least. This is you've known this is coming all along. It's what you've been expecting all along, and finally, finally, just everyone's clued in to what you've known. Or ten utter and complete, complete cosmic level shock. The answer is a four and an eight. The eight is I would be really surprised if he was stupid enough to do it this openly, given his circumstances at the time. The four is I wouldn't be entirely shocked to find out he's been doing dirt for a long time now. Because, I mean, again, as we've already pointed out, why all the shell corporations, buddy? Mm-hmm. All right, so we have a bifurcated answer from Jeff, a four and an eight. Maddie, where are you? I'm going to say a five, and I also would say it would be um, higher for, um, oh no, wait, which, which end of the spectrum is the shock? Yeah, it's a little confusing. <laughs> the, it's the, the you did make it up. confusing, Rich, because normally <laughs> I would have gone 10 for the super surprised. Okay, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it is. like the, the, the higher it is, the more shocked you are. So if zero, is, zero, you're not shocked at all. Okay. So well, you want to reverse it, Jeff, and be an eight and a four rather than a four and an eight? <laughs> I'll let it stand. <laughs> I know. I think you got it right. I think we're actually on the same wavelength. Okay, the higher actually, it is, the more shocked you are. Okay, the higher it is, more shocked. So I would actually be pretty shocked if it was um, Joe Biden, uh, and not very shocked at all if if there's stuff on Hunter Biden. So you want actual numbers? So I'll say an eight and a four. Oh, all right. I, I thought you the whole thing was going to be different, Maddie. Now you just aped Jeff's, oh, Jeff's answer. No, no, but, but he said it. He said it the other way around. And I, I also, I also was talking about Hunter Biden. He was talking about. Wait, here, here I was thinking that you were going to give me credit as a sharp analyst, Maddie. Okay, Never I'm just. Mind, no. <laughs> I'm taking any respect. I'm, I'm putting a ten on the board, ten. and I'm not even going to justify Shot. it. All right, just a 10. Okay, great. It was getting very confusing. We're going to have to look back at the transcript and figure out, uh, map this all out. Charlie, if if you understand the question, where are you? I think if you had asked me this in 2014, I'd have been a 10. I think I've seen enough from Joe Biden and his family in the intervening time that if this were true, it would not be an enormous shock. So maybe a 5. Yeah, I'm going to go much higher just on the grounds that they had a, a whole corrupt operation set up, as I said earlier. Why why go to something much more dangerous? Uh, so I, I would be I'd be an eight. I, I think it, it would be quite, quite shocking if you're really nailed on something like this. With that, let's go to our sponsor this episode. Moink, Charlie, tell us about this wonderful company. In fact, this is good timing. I may have said this last time. I don't know what it is about Moink ads and the calendar, but we just had our Moink box delivered, I think, yesterday, straight to the house, full of grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb-pastured pork and chicken and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, which came, as it does every single month and has for years now, straight to my door. That's what Moink is. It is a subscription service. Moink farms like our grandparents did. And as a result, the Moink meat that we subscribe to that is sent to our house every month tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. And the difference is a difference you can taste. And you can feel good knowing that you're helping family farms stay financially independent Two, you get to choose the meat that is delivered in every box. You could use ribeyes and chicken breasts, pork chops, salmon fillets, and so much more. Plus, you can cancel any time. Why moink? Well, because 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company. That company is owned by the Chinese. And their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is actually banned in 160 countries, including China. Yet you find that in your grocery aisle every day, or at least you do if you don't subscribe to Moink. Now, if you want to subscribe to Moink as I do, you can keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash editors. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash editors. You do that right now. Listeners to this show like yourself, will get free bacon in your first box. It is the best bacon you will ever taste, but you can only get that deal for a limited time. So do it today. 
Thanks so much, Charlie. Everyone, please check it out. We all love Moink. So, Maddie, we have news that a grand jury in New York has indicted Daniel Penny, the former Marine who had Jordan Neely and a chokehold resulting in his death on a New York City subway car on two charges, second-degree manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. He would face uh, 15 years or, or more, potentially, if he's convicted on these charges. What do you make of it? So it's not a surprise that he was indicted. Obviously, it, it doesn't take much to uh, get an indictment. But I think what is really disturbing about this case is the fact that there's really no doubt about what happened now, you know, from witness testimony and from the, the video footage that we have. It's worth mentioning again that the it wasn't just Perry acting alone. There were other people restraining Jordan Neely, some of whom were themselves uh you know, people of colour. So the, the idea that this has anything to do with race in that respect is just not credible on its face. Um, so so it, the, the way that it is actually about race is that Daniel Penny is being discriminated against because he is white. If he was, if he was black, um, I don't think this would have gone anywhere. That's evident by the fact that uh, nobody else is being, is being tried as an accessory to this or, or having a part in this. Um, and if, if Jordan Neely was white, then I don't think this would be going anywhere. And it's just, it's a hugely depressing thing to see. And you, you're seeing it, what's what's so unusual about uh, this case is you're, you're seeing his defence attorneys recommend that he uh, addresses the public. And normally, you you know, you have your Fifth Amendment right and you you keep to yourself and you save it for the trial. You don't want um, to, to get ahead of yourself. But he's actually made a very compelling uh, series of videos to the public, sort of making the case that he's not a racist. He was trying to protect himself and others. Uh, there was a, a credible threat uh, from Jordan Neely had had behaved aggressively and he had threatened uh, the the passengers. And so this was a, a response to that. Um, that it's reminding me of the there's a, a Helen Andrews had a, a book review in the American Conservative talking about this case of Jake Gardner. Um, in Omaha, who was who, who killed himself following uh, an indictment. He was a white guy who ended up in a scuffle with a black guy uh, in May 2020 during the, the, the riots. Um, he was defending his property and his elderly uh, father, who was a cancer survivor. And then afterwards, uh, he got the same treatment that Daniel Penny got. He was accused of being a white supremacist. Uh, he was baselessly accused just people lied about him and his name was dragged through the mud and the stress of, of all of this um, it just obviously drove him to a very dark place and, and he took his own life and it's just it's just tragic and it's incredibly unjust and um, I seriously hope that that he won't be convicted but I, I'm not I'm not sure maybe that's your exit question so I'll say no more <laughs> yeah so Charlie this is uh a horrible tragedy for for everyone involved. Uh, Jordan Neely shouldn't have been out of his mind on the subway cars we've talked about before. Daniel Penny made the choice that most people don't. This this guy represents a, a real threat to people. I'm not going to stand here and look at my shoes. I'm going to do something about it. I think the the the, the what makes me uh, queasy about what Penny did is in, in the video. You know, towards the end. There's no one else in the subway car except, you know, a few bystanders, uh, you know, uh, onlookers and, and the guys helping him res restrain Neely. And he's still he's still holding him. And um, obviously, though, he, he didn't he didn't mean to kill him uh, when someone who's watching says, hey, hey look, you're, you're going too far. You're going to kill him. He releases him. He asks him if he's OK. They try to put him on in the recovery position. I believe the, the other people there who are helping him restrain um Neely did, didn't think Neely was in, in serious jeopardy, didn't, didn't think, it, as one of the guys said in that, that video, oh, he's not squeezing, Penny's not squeezing. And it, people who know much more about uh, headlocks and chokeholds than I do say, if, if you're squeezing and really cutting off you know, the supply of oxygen and blood, that the, the person in, in the chokehold passes out immediately. And that wasn't true of Neely. And then you just have um, the, the fact is it's going to be very hard, you would think, to convict, find find a jury, a New York jury that hasn't been afraid on the subway, that hasn't wondered what's going to happen to them, hasn't wondered what they would do in this sort of situation, doesn't have at least one person who's uh, who, who's going to going to say no. But what do you think? 
It was pointed out this morning that in cases such as this, the defense that prevails often has to be offered up in a court. There's another case out of New York, I believe, involving an African-American man who killed somebody on a subway car who'd attacked his girlfriend. And there was similar outrage over his arrest. And it's not always the case, apparently, that people who end up defending themselves or protecting others are ignored. It's more common that in the courtroom they are able to provide an affirmative defense or when the details are examined, it becomes clear that they have not committed a crime. It does not, as such, bother me that Penny was arrested or interviewed, or you could argue even charged, although I don't see the case for it. What bothers me is that he has been vilified in the way that he has Mm -hmm. and the man that he unfortunately ended up killing has been lionized in the way that he has we have moved so far away not only from the facts of the case but what we know about the characters of the individuals involved as to make the whole thing cartoonish so this mentally disturbed man on the subway is cast in the press as a friendly Michael Jackson impersonator, as if those are the salient facts about him. Meanwhile, Daniel Penny is cast as some white supremacist vigilante, neither of which seem to be true. Mm-hmm. So I find my distaste really aimed at those people who have shifted the conversation from the details and from the law towards this cartoonized version. Now, I do understand why those people are doing it, other than that they have been infected with a terrible ideological disease. And that is that this does not speak well of New York or of the subway, or of how we treat people who are mentally ill, or of the crime statistics. And irrespective of the fine details of what constitutes manslaughter or murder or self-defense or what you will, it seems clear, does it not, that these incidents are increasing and will continue to increase until the impetus for them is diminished. So I will take a a, a backseat to the legal questions because I do think they're complicated and I do think they often have to be resolved in a court of law Mm -hmm. with specific instructions to juries and explications of the fine details. But we are not in a good place culturally when the instinct of those who are charged with reporting on and discussing cases such as these is to... (laughs) Former mob, pick up pitchforks, describe the uh, characters in the most absurd terms possible. Yeah. So, so to, to put a fine fine point out, you, you're you're not necessarily outraged by the indictment, but you are outraged by the, the smears of of Penny and and the 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 uh, impulse to put him in this racial box um, and and vilify him on that. That basis. So, Jeff, part of the vilification of Penny has been the characterization of him as a vigilante. You know, mm-hmm. there have been many opinion pieces arguing this. I, I wrote a piece a while ago pushing back, and he's not a Charles Bronson and Death Wish style vigilante. You he's know, not that, Bernie Getz, even. No. Yeah, exactly. He's not looking for trouble. He's just going from one place to the other and then feels compelled as a sense of duty and protectiveness of his fellow citizens. Um, to, to do this. And then there's also another vein in the center left commentary on this is, you know what? Neely didn't hurt anyone. He didn't, he didn't punch anyone. So how can you uh, presume that he would represent a threat? But anyone who's been in an urban environment 
you're, you're in an urban environment a lot. They're kind of harmless, mentally ill people you see all the time. It's horrible. It's tragic. It shouldn't happen. We'll look back on it as one of the, the uh, chief disgraces of our time that we're allowing this to happen. And they're mentally ill people that you are legitimately scared of. And you can tell the difference. Anyone has that eye and has that sense. And it's very likely, you know, we, we don't have video of, of the encounter prior to the chokehold, but Neely was acting like he did before he punched a couple people the last couple of years and potentially could have killed them. I, I think both of them were elderly people. One, one older lady, you know, broken eye socket and the whole nine yards. And I'm sure that lady would have appreciated if some, some, you know, friendly, uh, um, a bystander had stopped him prior to him hitting her. But this this is the bind that Penny has been put into. He stopped something potentially from bad bad from happening and has been made the villain for it. All right. Well, you know, first of all, anybody who makes that kind of legal argument has no idea what the heck they're talking about when it comes to criminal law or the law of self-defense. I'll start by just pointing that out, Rich. Uh, so how, how so? Explain because, a little bit more. Because the standard here is you have to have the reasonable man standard of a perception of you mm-hmm. know, imminent harm, uh, imminent bodily harm, serious harm, or death. Okay, And, and the guy who we have them on the videos, you have multiple witness statements saying, oh, I'll kill anyone. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to jail. And then you have his beat, his, his rap sheet where he's just been punching random old ladies. And mm-hmm. so that will be easily gotten past in any kind of criminal proceeding, assuming mm-hmm. that people actually go by the letter of the law. But that actually brings me uh, back to my point, which is I'm really glad that Charlie said he was okay with uh, uh, the guy being charged, because I'm not. Okay? I'm not. Now, and maybe this is the difference. Well, uh, to be fair, I, I said that I wouldn't have charged him myself, but I, I think that his having been indicted so that this can be resolved in a court is far less of a problem than that the way... The, the two people involved are being characterized. No, okay. Well, then, then, then when it's said it that way, I'll grant you the point. But I, I'll tell you what upsets me a lot about this, and you know, I, I think maybe maybe the force of my conviction comes from the fact that Charlie gets to ride a golf cart to the beach when he wants to go, you know, have fun, <laughs> and I have to ride the L or take the train in Chicago, which isn't quite New York, by the way. Thank, believe it or not, we have a lot of other problems that are worse than New York's, but our train disasters aren't quite to the New York level. Don't ask me why there's a difference, but and this is a city where you just know it's a, what line do you live on, and you know if it's a safe line or a not safe line. Blue line, you'll be okay. That one goes to the airport. They keep it clean. Red line, oh, I'm sorry, my friend. And you don't even want to know what the brown and the purple can get up to sometimes. It's a mess in this city, so I have a lot of sympathy having seen people not just asleep, which I don't mind, uh, that you take as a given every time you get off the airplane and you go home. Um, You also see people who are running up and down and, and threatening people. But thankfully, I have never experienced and lived through something that, that Daniel Penny did myself. If mm-hmm. I did, I'm not sure. You know what? I'm not even going to lie. I don't think I'm a hero at heart. I think I probably would have just sat there and done nothing. Mm-hmm. And that makes well, me that's feel, probably most of us. Yeah, and, okay. And that, that kind of haunts me a little bit mm-hmm. because this person, as I said, a reasonable man, quite sensibly could have understood him to be an active threat. As you say, at any moment, one of these guys could go off. He could just pull a knife out of his pocket, start stabbing somebody. So let, let me push you a little, Jeff. And first of all, in Charlie's defense, there may be a lot of uh, predilections and attitudes Charlie has that, that um, uh, stem back from, from his context of being able to, to drive to the beach in his golf yard. I, I don't think this is one of them. I don't, I don't think this. I think he's th- thought this through very, very carefully. And I, I basically agree Charlie with this. Charlie and I are friends. That's why I made this. Yeah, show. I basically agree with his take. But if... Um, so, so you would you wouldn't indict him, Jeff? But what if he had held him a minute longer? The, uh, how much? Well, how much? That's where it gets you know, into the gray so, area. Right? Yeah. So this is the thing. I think the 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 initial part of the counter, totally agree with you. Totally. The question is the, the latter part of the okay, encounter. So here's the thing and it's not thinking, fair, right? Because we're not in the moment. Okay, Richard, Our adrenaline's talk, not going. You talked yeah, this go ahead. through earlier, right? You talked this through earlier, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, okay, but you have to remember what 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 is the actual human adrenaline in an incident mm-hmm. like that? Okay. This is like a moment where you have to engage. Holy crap, uh, I'm holding a guy down who's trying to threaten mm-hmm. people. This mm-hmm. is not a joke. It's not something you watch on video mm-hmm. a day later and can observe with detachment. This is a life or death exchange. Literally, unfortunately, it was a life and death exchange. So 
that guy, assuming he acted with force or with, with reasonable justification, which I would argue he did, and yes, I actually, you find you want to put this in court, I see why it has to be hashed out, but I'm not going to hold against him the fact that he was there almost like in a haze, mm-hmm. like, so like, oh, I'm holding on, I'm holding on. Right. Just, yeah, he wasn't, as I said, he was not choking the guy out, like, you know, yeah. like full force. You, and, and, you know, listen, I had an older brother who did that to me once when I was a kid. It doesn't take long to put you under if you're. Oh, really yeah. Hashed. You know, that I, I saw um, just. Yes, several weeks ago, there was a terrible video. I, I hate um, sports fan on sports fan violence at arenas and stadiums. Oh, it's no. just horrible. It's horrible. Oh, no. But there was a, I think it was in the Devils Rangers series. The Devils plays the Rangers. I forget. But one, one, it was a hockey hockey game. And these two fans were having a bit of a tussle, and one guy got on the other's back and choked him. And within ten seconds, the guy was on the ground, flailing around with like n- no more, you know, just just totally out, as you, you know, say. So it goes fast, but you know those guys are hooligans. Who cares about them? But right. This was an actual guy who was trying to defend people, standing up for what he thought. I would argue. See, I'm acting as his defense lawyer, as you can tell. So that's yeah. my, you know, you can criticize me for that. The other thing is, you know, and I'll just one last thing. I'll say this, you know, I have to admit. It's coming from a man named Alvin Bragg, and this is a guy mm-hmm. who's already oh, just yeah, totally. announced to the world that he is a purely political prosecutor. So if there's any shot he can take that he thinks will uh, make him look good in the eyes of the people whose opinions he's seeking approval from, then he'll take it. And, and it is there's, there's you know, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to have to say on this show an episode, a, a word in favor of Donald Trump, but that's his weakest indictment of many. Okay? So, like, I look at Bragg doing that, I look at mm-hmm. Bragg doing this, and I think, well... This is a guy who has an agenda, and why is it landing on Daniel Penny, who is acting in reaction to something that is becoming an increasingly unavoidable plague on every big city in the country? Yeah, and, and further to the point, Jeff, on it's easy to judge it when you're not in the moment and you're not mm. feeling the, that adrenaline and you're not in that struggle. I asked this, this former cop friend of mine, well, why didn't, why didn't Penny just, just let him go a little earlier? And, and it, you don't let him go, he said, because the chances are— He'll turn he around did, and stab he did, you. Yeah, he'll yeah he'll pop right back up, and you're back into what you you consider a life and death struggle. That that's mm-hmm. why you don't let go. So, uh, I, I take that point entirely. And Maddie, you gave me the exit question. I'll go to you first. I, I imagine you've had a lot of time now to to mull it and think about it. You're not <laughs> going to be influenced one way or the other by what anyone else says because you're going first. Will Daniel Penny be convicted of these charges? Yes or no? Uh, no. Charlie. Oh, Charlie, first of all, anything you wanted to say in uh, uh, self-defense, no pun intended, <laughs> against Jeff? Well, I would just reiterate that although I wouldn't have issued this indictment, I think that the very fact that this conversation has come down to, well, what if he had held on for another minute and to, well, what's it like being in that situation in the moment rather than at a remove is why the worst thing here is not that Daniel Penny will be tried by a jury of his peers. The worst thing is that he's being characterized as a monster when Mm -hmm. this is really a very difficult case. I mean, what you've described there is one of the arguments in favor of stand your ground. Stand your ground exists because they're developed in the courtrooms of America, a really unreasonable expectation that people who had been threatened would behave in the moment as they might behave when analyzing something that had happened 100 years ago. And you got all of these prosecutors talking to the jury as if people who are in extremists are the most cool and rational people in the world and state legislatures said no that's not fair we want to have an affirmative defense that can be advanced in a courtroom uh, that uh, that intersects um sorry that interdicts that that accusation so um you know I, I i again i don't think the case against him is strong enough to have brought the case but i also think that it is close enough mm-hmm. that that it, it it it's not a disgrace um I don't think he will be convicted because I don't think the case against him is strong enough. Uh, I, I, I think a jury will see that he was in an extremely difficult situation and that he was trying to behave as a good Samaritan and that this ended yep. tragically. Jeff? I think he'll be convicted. Really? 
I mean, I I would wow. rate it. I would rate the likelihood as like a six out of ten, not a four, mm. but not 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 certainty. Just, but I would oh, I would weight it that way. What? Why? Uh, I because I don't know. I just think you you can get a good jury if you're smart at manipulating lawyer deer mm-hmm. in, in the city in Manhattan. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you have to think about the kinds of people you can say. There, as I said, it could go either way. There there are people who could you know say I know what it's like to ride the subway, and then you could get a, get a bunch of silk stocking people who are like, well, mm-hmm. it wouldn't even matter to me. I can get right. in my my personal car, and they'll yeah. all put you down. And, and so, Jeff, can I just ask you something? I know we have to move on, but. The picture you just painted, especially with the focus on Voidier, is one in which jury selection is dispositive, that jurors don't take their roles seriously, that jurors don't sit and listen to the painstaking dissection of the facts. And I remember O.J. Simpson. I lived through that. You were maybe, (laughs) that's why I still remember it. Right, but we also had a case last year that got a great deal of national attention out of Wisconsin with Kyle mm-hmm. Rittenhouse, in which the jurors and the judge whom I praised seemed to present a masterclass in how to be a sober and judicious citizen. Kenosha isn't Manhattan. I mean, See, Jeff, this is why it's a mistake to try and stand out on the exit questions. <laughs> I'm just saying, Kenosha just duck and cover. Look I, at your shoes, Jeff. I'm, no, I'm, t- I'm telling you. Listen, I want. Nothing I hope so. Him. I just don't. I, I, I think it's, it's more possible he gets convicted than, than others seem to. Yeah, and no, I think that's it's a, it's a, it's a great, and fascinating answer. I'm going to go with Charlie and Maddie, though, and let me pause before we move on. We're going to discuss COVID origins next. Do a little plug for Enterplus. If you enjoyed and found it informative and enriching the discussion you just heard, which I think was very uh, thoughtful and thought-provoking, this is what we do all the time. We do it on podcasts. We do it on video. We do it in a print magazine. We do it on the website. We do it because we enjoy doing it, but we also need to do to pay our writers. And it's really important that people pay just a little bit, not much. It's really not much for our content. Tens of thousands of National Review listeners and readers already pay for our content and are members of NR+. If you are not already, I urge you to feel a sense of guilt that you just can't shake. It's one of those things you're waking up at 3 in the morning, you know something is wrong. It's kind of dogging you during the day. In the back of your mind somewhere, you know something's wrong. And what it is, is you're not paying anything. <laughs> For National Review's content, so I would urge you in all seriousness to please consider doing it if you haven't already. It won't cost you an arm or a leg or any other uh, body part. It's, uh, it's cheap. It's the right thing to do. It supports our valuable work. So, Charlie, we have, uh, I've been skeptical that we're, we'd ever get to the bottom of the origins of, of COVID because it's a totalitarian state bent on covering it up and a lot of time has passed. But we had this new report on some of the first COVID patients in China being uh, employees, researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What do you make of it? Well, I make two things of it. The first thing I make of it is that this seemed to me to be the most likely explanation right from the beginning. I thought that that viral John Stewart clip where he compared it to a chocolate leak from the Hershey factory was spot on. Just as Occam's razor would suggest, you have this disease start in the place where the laboratory that was studying the disease was located. You know, as our listeners know, I'm a tinkerer. I like to take things apart and rebuild them. I like to fix things. And when you do that enough you develop a certain ability to contrive a useful starting hypothesis. And I always thought this was the most obvious starting hypothesis, even absent any specific information, rather than say that this came from a wet market or what you will. Now, that's not to say that I knew the answer, and it's not to say that anyone knew the answer, but it has been utterly disgraceful how those who picked what seemed to me to be the most obvious starting hypothesis were lambasted, were called names. Tom Cotton stood up on the floor of the Senate and suggested this, 
And he's a bigot. He's a lunatic conspiracy theorist. He's QAnon adjacent for having done it. There was a profound social prohibition against saying, hey, do you think that this virus could have come out of the virus factory next door? (laughs) That never made any sense to me, unless it was the product either of self-serving figures using their power and influence to tamp it down. I'm thinking of Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, who clearly feel guilty for us the amount of money that they have directed towards this Wuhan lab, or a racially conscious, progressive view of the world that just cannot hear any criticisms that, in their estimation, might lead to the disparagement of people in other countries. I mean, this became really silly, didn't it? The notion that if Jim Garrity, and he was absolutely fantastic on this, that if Jim Garrity writes a morning jolt in which he suggests that the Wuhan Institute of Virology might have something to do with the virus in Wuhan, that he was churning the waters of international xenophobia, but that if you suggested that this came out of the sort of wet markets that Westerners find disgusting, then that was fine. I mean, it never made any sense. Uh, The most obvious explanation was rejected out of hand. And now what we will see is the burying of this evidence, probably under the guise that we knew this all along and it's old news. So, Maddie, just following on from that, it's just it's bizarre, one, how how much lack of interest there is in in where this virus came from. (laughs) Totally disrupted the almost the entire world led to millions of, of deaths uh, directly from the virus and then all, all sorts of despair and, and deaths from the the response to the virus. And just during the pandemic and even here afterwards, there's been more vitriol directed at people against who are against, say, masking you know, kids in schools or had skepticism about the vaccine than there is uh, been directed at the, the regime that at, at least has, has made it very difficult to determine what the origins were or tried to. And uh, a- actually, it's, it's recklessness and dishonesty um, probably made this much, much worse. You know, where's, where's the, as Bob Dole used to say, wh- where's the outrage? Yeah, so I think on the political level, it's, it's explained by self-interest. You know, people still want to do business in China. China's just too valuable to make a complete enemy of. You know, the Biden administration's kind of made that clear with their policy. But I think on the wider population level, it's more psychological. Things are just harder to accept um, when they're caused by human beings. They're just harder to process things that make us suffer. So, you know, if your house is damaged by a flood, uh, you're like, okay, well, this sucks. My house is damaged. But if it's damaged by a careless house guest who Mm -hmm. left a a candle on and then went out, it's just like it takes the level of rage and and outrage to like another level, basically. But but that's a great I think that's a great point. But but isn't there also a tendency to want to blame someone? Right. When something happens. Right. Like wouldn't the natural instinct be the Chinese did this to us rather than like that's what they were trying to avoid. What's that? Ah, but that's what the people who mm-hmm. tried to tamp this down were trying to avoid. I mean, I, I, I think I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that has happened. I think if the, the one of the things that's that's maybe you could argue that a positive development to come out of the pandemic is a healthy skepticism of the of the Chinese authorities or just your average man on the street now has a healthy mm-hmm. skepticism um, and uh, you know resentment about about what went on. I think at the political level there's it's it's too complicated. Also the, the fact that the Americans knew what was going on and maybe there was some money behind certain aspects of this, that that makes it that incentivizes them to to cover it up more um but i think i think there's also an element of just total exhaustion if you think about like how how affected we all were every single human being on the planet was in some way uh affected by this it it was the the level of disruption um you know maybe even like lost loved ones and the idea of sort of of uh, rehashing that, I, th- I think people are just exhausted. It's like by opening it. a coffin again and looking at a body. Do you want to do mm-hmm. it? I don't want to. I mean, there's a lot of people who make that choice, and I do understand why. 
So, Jeff, where are you on uh, this latest latest reporting? I mean, here's the thing. I could critique the media coverage on COVID, but, you know, you guys have all done it well enough already. And then Jim Garrity and Noah Rothman both wrote great pieces about it. Jim, just the other day, you know, for the Joel... Yeah, Charlie referenced it, wrote that piece where he talked about, like, you know, here are the new facts that have come to light. And then Noah made a point that Maddie also touched on is that, you know, like, why is this not a big political issue? Well, there's one reason, which is that nobody wants to talk about it anymore because there's just been so much privation mm-hmm. and loss. And boy, I suffered on myself with my family. Um, but also because nobody benefits in either party. There's no political point to make or win on this, the Democrats or the Republicans. It, it, it doesn't have quite the uh, the direct partisan appeal, sadly, uh, that it should, and the media certainly has no interest in revealing their own failings, and they're not going to pick up the torch. But since you guys all did that, I just want to point out one other thing, which is that the Chinese Communist Party is actually horribly evil. We don't really actually appreciate enough just how awful it was what they did. They knew very early on that they'd goofed, that they'd let, like, for all they knew, it would be like Stephen King's The Stand, like Captain Trips getting out of the lab. They didn't know, but they were going to lie their asses off, frankly, if they had to. And so that the second they find out, the regime finds out that their scientists, three of the scientists who were doing gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab came down with what we are pretty darn sure is COVID. Uh, then they forced two of those guys to actually then publish a quickie mm-hmm. cover your butt paper saying, well, oh, we've heard there's bat flu going around, so don't eat wild food. Food, folks. In other mm-hmm. words, they were getting on the record as early as possible with the official lie. They were already backing and filling and trying to conceal this. This is the essence of the Chinese Communist Party's relationship to what we consider truth or honesty. And I guess I'll emphasize enough, that's why you don't really... There's not a lot of benefit to collaborating scientifically with these people, especially with government funds. I, I think we, we focus, and I have too, I've written about it myself, we focus on how disgraceful the American media reacted to this for all the domestic political reasons. But there's one important thing not to lose sight of, which is that Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party are really awful people. Yeah, so Charlie, I've asked this for years now, this, this next question, ask it again. Percentage, uh, put a percentage on how confident you are that the virus came from a lab. Zero, you, you, despite everything, you don't think it came from a lab. 100%, you are now absolutely certain. Surprise us, say zero. <laughs> are you confused by the scale, Jeff? Do I need to no, play out? No, this time I get more? it. This time I understand. <laughs> I'm at 80%. I think last time you asked, I was at 70%. This new evidence pushed me up to 80 Maddie Kearns. I'm at 95. Nice. Yeah. Jeff. 95.75. It's like like the price price is right. right. I'm bidding you up just a tick higher. (laughs) I'm with Charlie. I I think, Charlie, if I remember correctly, I I was lower than you the last time I I asked this, but I'm with you. Uh, I'm at 80. I leave that 20 just, you know. There's just still for the sake we, of, we yeah, don't know. Right. yeah. Just more cautious. I'm me. a cautious, I'm a prudent guy, Jeff. Yeah. You'll, you'll One of the things me. that I don't tinker with in my garage, you'll be pleased to hear, is viruses. So I will yeah. respect <laughs> my ignorance a little bit. <laughs> Only keyboards. I think if, if, if uh, everyone on this podcast were, were given the, the charge to like, manufacture crystal meth in their garage, you'd be the one best able to do it, Charlie. Well, and I'm best located for it yeah. as well, because I'd have my customer base right outside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So let's hit a few other things before we go. Jeff, very impressively, you've been reading up on Polish history. Yeah, I don't know why I have. I, I, I can't help it. So uh, I I, uh, I am uh, myself a, a big, goofy Polish guy. And so I, I realized there's just no good actual histories of Poland out there. And I threw out the uh, the All Points Bulletin in a request for people. I said, is there anything out there? And I found a great book. It's called God's Playground, A History of Poland. It's in two volumes by mm. a man, a British author named Norman Davis. Um, oh, yeah. He's a great European historian. He's right? a great Euro- European historian. Fantastic. 
fantastic writer, I think still around. Um, I think I just recently saw some commentary he made about the Ukrainian war. Uh, he's a solid guy still to this day. And uh, it, Poland is a fascinating country because it's always had a people, but not really a national identity or a political boundary for several parts of its career. Now they seem to be a lot more permanent uh, in the post-war world, and particularly the post-communist world. Um, but it is a nation that has always been both real and enduring and yet strangely contingent in its in its shape and its form and uh, you know it's it's also part of my family background too so it's been mm. fascinating to read so i i was gone <clears throat> um the second episode the week that you wrote your uh commentary on the anglo-saxons on this yeah. this ridiculous cambridge thing charlie of course is cambridge that wants to eliminate the anglo-saxons not not oxford at least not yet yeah, well, i thought the, that was okay, everybody knows that cambridge were like the, the red communists of medieval england they actually ex- exited from oxford because they were just too left-wing <laughs> but that's why they had this they had this this horrible like inadequacy you know trip too because they were just a they they started just about a hundred years later than oxford so they should feel inferior and they're still trying to catch they're up still, and then they're <laughs> so yeah i would have i would have not just made that my pick i would, probably would have wanted to do a whole segment on it, it was just it was uh, <laughs> a lot really, of fun to write yeah it was really terrific so maddie while jeff has been boning up on polish history <laughs> you've been making smoothies yes so um I've rediscovered, it's a recipe that my uh, roommate many years ago would make, and it's just banana, almond milk, and peanut butter. And it's just so great. It Actually, if you, you have it in the morning, it holds you over, like, till lunch. Um, and sometimes you can put other things in it, like strawberries or even spinach. If you, you Spinach doesn't really affect the taste, weirdly. So, you know, if you just want to get, get more healthy... Um, healthy stuff into your diet that's uh, one way to do it anyway there you go that is my light i am rich that mm. is <laughs> it's like charlie i'm, I'm not apologizing for it so <laughs> i'm going to counter program noah's last light item and praise thunderstorms which i do i think once a year thunderstorms have arrived in my part of florida we had one yesterday that lasted for about six or seven hours monsoon rain Thunder so loud that it made me jump, made the house shake, and lightning, lightning, lightning. The ground is still waterlogged as a result of this thunderstorm. The thing is, I grew up disdaining rain because I grew up in England, and rain in England is boring. It's gray, (laughs) the sky is low, it drizzles on you all day like Seattle. But thunderstorms are just beautiful to watch. And I got to totally. do this for seven or eight hours yesterday while I was working. You know, yeah, you, you've just made the only pitch that would ever work on me to move to Florida because I, I normally I need winters and I need cold, but I love those thunderstorms. That that must yeah, have been yeah. exciting, except when it fries your server three weeks in a row. Sure. Yes, they're they're totally awesome. The best thunderstorm I ever experienced years ago now, but there was a, a del, derecho. Is that how you say it? I've always just read it, not uh, heard. Were it. you in DC? The derecho that passed through uh, us? Yeah, I was in DC. It was, it, was, was it was in 2012, and 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 I remember it well because we had to leave town. I had to sleep in my office because it was 103 degrees. There was no power anywhere at my home, and uh, yeah. I, I literally I laid down pillows at the law firm. It was bad. Yeah, I. Um, I was listening to a Yankee game because at night, you know, you can pick up the the Yankee radio signal so strong you pick it up, you know, all up and down the East Coast, and and then it was th- just this random static started coming in. I was like, "What's going on?" And then I, I I got home and my, my mom was away. I was just there with my dad, and I was looking out the front door. This just bizarre red color like approaching us and then just i really there, there's this old oak tree in our, our front yard that's been there you know 50 years or more our old front yard and i was so sure that tree was coming down it, and, and, it, and it just and that thunderstorm is kind of like the one charlie has described it just did not stop it just kept going and going and going so i i like to listen to youtube history lectures someone recommended to me a while these these hillsdale courses you can listen to which i had come across Uh, they they have really uh, alluring uh well-produced ads that'll show up on on youtube if you're writing watching the right stuff and i always thought you had to pay for them turns out you just have to register you give them an email and you can listen to these uh, courses from Hillsdale professors, and they, they're just really well done. 
and enriching. There's a guy, I'm embarrassing myself because I've never heard his last name said, but Paul Ray, R-A-H-E, and mostly ancient history, which is fantastic, you know, on, on Athens and Sparta and the Peloponnesian War and all that, but also like did a lecture on England and the, the revolutionary uh, period, uh, time of the, the Civil War and the Glorious Revolution. And it was just so good. I mean, just the range of, uh, of that, that man is incredible. With, with that, it's time for our editor's picks. Jeff Blair, what's your pick? All right. Um, my pick would be our, our own reviewer, Armin White, our film reviewer. He, uh, he did a new review. just came out this morning for Asteroid City by Wes Anderson. Now, Wes Anderson, of course, is, is a director who I've always – his early films spoke to me a lot when I was younger. And then I felt like he lost his way, got sort of you know, caught up in the, the, the beautiful uh, handcrafted sort of you know, playing with dolls and houses fantasies of his visual imagination. So like what? What are you talking you – know, So what? like early, early Wes Anderson Name titles. Is, is Rushmore, Moonrise Kingdom. Like Rushmore's great, yeah. Life Aquatic. Um, and then – you didn't like the, the Grand Hotel or whatever that See, that's where I lose. He loses me. And oh, dude, I love that stuff, one. The French Dispatch, I just could not get over oh, the self-impressiveness I, I, there, there was There was a lot that was, was uh, boring and hard to take in the French Dispatch, but that so captured the, the old National Review, that movie. I loved it, especially all the, the Bill Murray like editing scenes. We're going to commission this piece for 3,000 words. It's going to come in at 10. It's going to come in three weeks late, but we're gonna, it's okay because this person's really talented. And then, you know, it'll take three weeks to cut it down. We'll try to negotiate. We'll send someone on a train with a copy, you know, with the edit. Right. That's just it was so old National Review. I just right. loved it. Well, I'm going. You know, that's a perspective. I'm going to go back and have to watch it with that perspective in mind. But Armin White is such a fun reviewer because he, like, even when you disagree with him, he'll send you zinging off into like three foreign films or, or like obscure art films that you had never even heard of, and and you end up finding it. Well, that's really good, and I wish I had known about that. But he and I are actually very much on the same page with regard to Anderson. And so when he praises this film, and it's a positive review, I think he describes it as like, it only, it, I'm going to read it from him. He says, something genuine is expressed here. To borrow from a Max Ophel's phrase, Asteroid City is only superficially superficial. And there's deep heartbreak in here. And I've not been more excited to go and see a movie, especially one from a director who I had thought had fallen off in recent years than I have been. Uh, and um, so I recommend everybody to read that piece. And also, I guess let's go and see see it and see if we agree yeah absolutely Maddie Kearns what's your pick my pick is uh, Caroline Downey's detransitioner series and the latest one is an incredibly difficult read um, about uh, a young woman who was sexually abused by her father and then uh, went through transition treatments but I think what Caroline is doing is just so important and to be quite honest with you I I had to take a step back from that kind of reporting because it really, mm -hmm. it really does take a toll. Um, and I know it takes a toll on her, and she does it anyway. Uh, and I just think she deserves a ton of credit for it. And it's a, it's just, it's important that these stories are shared. So well done, Caroline. Yeah, that was going to be my pick. I, I was just to add to, to your to your last point. Our managing editor asked Caroline after she filed that, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah. I, I know this piece is fantastic because everyone's told me it's it's fantastic. I, I will had to not. Make, read I it. made myself. I refuse read it. to read it. I, I won't read it. I can't. I, I did, and I made myself read it. And I feel like you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, Rich, but I feel like. I owed it to myself to read it. Mm -hmm. you, you don't yeah, look away. But, don't look away from what was done to these people. I, that mm -hmm. bothers me. Yeah, but uh, totally with you, Maddie. She's doing really important work on that topic. Charlie Cook, what's your pick? Before I do my pick, I just want to add to Jeff's praise of Armand White, who I think is the only writer in the world who could have written this sentence from a few weeks ago. It's about Taylor Swift. Her self-pleased chuckling, I thought that it would kill me, but it didn't, lacks Billie Holiday's noble masochism. Yes! <laughs> just imagine listening to Taylor Swift and saying... It lacks Billie Holiday's noble masochism. Only Armand <laughs> would make that connection. He's a one-off. He's also correct but, about it. That's the funny thing. That's a good... That's a oh, good, he's very often correct. That's a good he, association in my mind. He makes connections that I wouldn't be able to in a million years. Uh, as does Dominic Pino, who wrote the oh, segue. editor's Segway, Segway, Charlie. This is why Charlie is, is a, uh, <laughs> a incredibly successful podcaster in his own right. Also a knuckleball pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> so Dominic is brilliant, as we've established before. He is also relentless, and he sees the wisdom of Milton Friedman and Hayek and 
Frederick Bastiat everywhere. And he just has this corner post from last night, which starts, two recent economics articles provide great examples of what is seen and what is not seen, which is the title of a book by Frederick Bastiat. And it's just a great National Review-style reminder that observations that were made 200 years ago are just as valuable, if not more valuable, than those today, and we have no excuse for forgetting them. So my pick is by Scott Howard, a National Review intern. I urge you to read this piece if for no other reason, just to demonstrate to yourself the incredible wisdom even of National Review interns, but it's about this very important program that the University of Florida has launched to revitalize uh, the teaching of Western civilization. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National Review podcast. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or count this game without the express written permission of National Review magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Shitty, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks to Moink. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.